It's likely that you're one of the 300 million Amazon shoppers out there. There's about 30 million people each month that shop just from their Amazon app on their phone, which equals about 44% of the entire shopping that goes on on the web. That's a huge market. And so here at Hunt Harvest Health, we decided to utilize that to help bring the products that we recommend to you. At the same time, if you purchase products off of our website, you support our podcast. We get so many questions about where do I get a dehydrator? Which dehydrator do I use? Which blender do I use? Uh, What product are you putting in this? Where do I find that product you talked about? We've already interviewed quite a few people, and most of them have all written books. Well, now you can go to our website, huntharvesthealth.com slash products, and find everything pretty much that we've recommended either on our podcast or on our website. Also, if you have a Prime membership, remember, shipping is free. Please think about supporting the Hunt Harvest Health podcast by going to huntharvesthealth.com slash products and buying our suggested products through Amazon. As a naturopathic physician, I realize how important food is as medicine. In today's healthcare crisis, we're seeing people resort to medications, surgeries, and not relying on food the way that we used to in the past. Food is medicine, and it gives us so much in the ability to heal ourselves, to heal our families, and to have a closer relationship with the planet, the animals, and the plants that we harvest and eat. So on our website, we added a new uh, section called Healing Foods. If you go to huntharvesthealth.com slash healing foods, you'll be able to read about all the foods that we use in recipes that we grow in our yard and that we harvest both plant and animal in our lives. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Hillary Lampers. Finally, we're doing another Food Friday. I'm going to be doing this podcast alone, and we're going to be talking about a topic that I personally love. Many of you know that Ryan is a huge gardener, and it's funny when we talk with people, a lot of people think that I'm the big gardener, and I don't know if that's because it's like a male-female thing, and because he hunts, they think maybe I'm the gardener, but truthfully, Ryan is the ultimate gardener. Well, there's one thing that I like to grow that's not in the garden, but it's just as nutritious and can actually be grown all year round, and that's sprouting. So today's topic is not just for hippies. Don't get scared. Don't run away. And honestly, if you do this and you, uh, you try growing sprouts, you will be shocked at how easy it is and how nutritious it is nutritious it is. A little bit of background on where I came into sprouting and kind of what intrigued me about it. In the mid-90s, I was working for my mentor, a physician here in Washington, and we used to travel around and work on patients in the specialty that he did. It's actually the specialty I do now in my practice. And we used to go to a place in Florida called uh, Hippocrates Institute. This place is a pretty phenomenal healing center 
that people at that time, you know, the majority of people that I was seeing in that clinic were people that were there for either uh, very serious illnesses, sometimes even terminal illnesses with diagnoses like cancers. And uh, there's also a certain population of people that just went there regularly, and it was just a cleansing environment. They got they got away from their stress, and they got to stay there, and all their food was prepared for them. They got a lot of education around food, and then you can get a lot of other treatment modalities, um, like water therapies and colonics and massage and all that stuff. We know that animal proteins are hard on the body. Uh, we know that cooked grains and overcooked foods they can be hard on the body. And so in the standard American diet, most people are eating kind of lifeless foods because they're either cooking them wrong, they're overcooking them, uh, or they just, they're just not eating you know, quality food, which is the majority of the population. One of the main things that they did there and that they used in their meals was sprouts. Sprouts have a lot of different qualities, but one is, is that they are an abundant protein source. If you are vegetarian or vegan, or you maybe have a hard time digesting proteins because perhaps you have acid reflux or some of these other conditions that um, decrease protein digestibility, sprouts are a great way to get the essential amino acids into your body without having to work to break them down because they're already pre-digested. So I got really excited about sprouting. And at that institute, um, the woman who actually started it she had healed herself from a very severe illness um, by using wheatgrass and sprouting and basically reversed her health considerably. And it was a sad story because she didn't die of illness. She died in a house fire. But she's the one who started, um, Anne Wigmore was her name, and she started Hippocrates Institute. And her belief was that living foods brought abundant health. And I really, at that time, and even now, I, I believe that that's true. You know, we grow food in the garden, and we believe in greens and all these things. You know, kale is like one of Ryan's favorite foods. We believe in that because you can't eat a lot of meat and heavy dairy and all these others unless you have a balance of plant materials with it. And again, the type of animals that you're eating, uh, that also makes a big difference. But the plant sources are very important. And most people are not getting adequate sources of plants in their diet. But I really like sprouting because it was a super easy way to get a ton of greens and just grow them right in my kitchen. You can get this guide as well as a sprouting chart for the most common uh, seeds and legumes that we're going to talk about. You can get everything we're going to be talking about here on our website. If you go to uh, huntharvesthealth.com slash healing foods slash sprouts. On there, you can download the PDF that's going to have everything we talk about today and a chart, so you can ha as well as all the equipment and where to buy it um, on our website. And you could just lickety-split, set this up, and do it yourself. Uh, a week ago, I started growing sprouts, uh, and I've had, I've today, uh, yesterday and today, I've harvested a crop um, of alfalfa sprouts, and then I still have some sunflower sprouts and pea sprouts that are growing, and they'll probably be totally done in two to three days. So it's usually about a week-long process, and then you'll have a fresh harvest, and if you keep going, you can have, um, depending on how you do it, you can have a harvest 
constantly. So let's talk a little bit about some of the nutritional benefits. I, I mentioned a little bit before, you know, about the amino acids. Sprouted foods in general are very rich in protein. But because they are, they, they've been sprouted and the seed or nut or legume has opened up, what you see is, is that that protein becomes somewhat pre-digested by the enzymes um, that the water breaks open. And that makes that protein basically give you eight, the eight essential amino acids that you need without your gut having to work to break those down. The great part about that is that because of that pre-digestion, it's going to be easier for people that have digestive issues to eat sprouts without digestive burden and get a good protein amino acid source uh, from the sprout. We talked with Dr. Jillian Tita in podcast number four about digestive health. And, you know, we created the gut restoration program. You can go get that on our website as well still. It's and uh, we talk about acid reflux and we talk about the need actually for hydrochloric acid and how many people are deficient in that and how that's causing so many protein digestion, digestion abnormalities. So this way you can eat protein without having to break it down quite as hard. So if you have acid reflux, sprouts are probably a really good way for you to get more protein in your diet. Um, the other thing is, is that researchers as well as evolutionary ancestors, you know, our ancestors who in the past, they really found that plant life is the most powerful type of food for harnessing health from the sun. So plants create chlorophyll and they do that by capturing solar, solar energy. And then they mix it with air, water, and then they use the minerals that they absorb from the soil to create a perfect food. And this chlorophyll is really a perfect food for blood. Um, chlorophyll in plants is basically made up of the same elements of which our red blood cells are made up of. And so it makes it an ideal medicine really for the blood. With the blood thing, it's going to decrease anemia. It's going to reduce your blood pressure. It will also decrease like hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis. It can improve your arthritis. And um, it also aids in the movement of food through your digestion. So we call that peristalsis. And that is the f basically the squeezing of your intestines that allows you to poop. And people who can't poop well and have a lot of constipation, it's because sometimes you're not getting that good peristalsis. So your, your gut for there's a number of different reasons. But it's basically not squeezing, you know, like a hose. It's kind of should be squeezing. And it's not. So chlorophyll can actually help to stimulate peristalsis, which is really interesting. So when you eat chlorophyll in an abundant amount, you're going to be getting all those nutrients, basically, that the plant has used all the elements, and it's stored it into itself, and it creates a green, um, vibrant color. And when you eat that, you're going to be building your blood. The best thing about that is with sprouts is it's so easy and fast that you can have a blood builder pretty quick. Um, you're going to get a lot of other nutrients in plant foods and sprouts, but I mean in plant foods. But when you sprout them, you're going to get about 10 to 20 percent more. And that, again, is because when you sprout it, it breaks open the bonds and the enzymes. And it, what it does is it makes all these nutrients more bioavailable. Those amino acids are more bioavailable to your body. Um, vitamins such as vitamin C, all your B vitamins, vitamin E, and folate, as well as a whole bunch of other minerals and stuff, they're going to be more bioavailable to your body to absorb them. 
you know, the sprout is kind of the very beginning of life. And if you think of like a brand new baby or you think about a new puppy or you think about a brand, the, the very beginning of life and how, you know, they just look so healthy and so vi- vivacious and vibrant. And that is really what a sprout is. It's like psh, opening up and it's giving you so much nutritional quality in that little sprout. So using, and you can use any type of nut, seed, or grain and you can sprout them. Even if you were going to cook them, you can soak them overnight um, and you can still cook them or you can roast them like a nut um, or you can dehydrate them and you'll get even more nutritional quality from those foods if you do the sprouting stage. And then the last thing I love about it is that children love sprouts. My daughter will barely eat greens, even though she has a whole yard full of them. And, you know, we've had to work on that over the years. But when she was young, uh, you know, greens are bitter. And the bitter taste bud develops later in life. And that's why a lot of children, they don't like greens. So when they eat it, one, they may not be able to chew them well until they have all their good teeth, um, their molars. The other is it's bitter. And that's like, oh, those taste buds are not developed. And when we're young, our sweet taste bud is really our first taste bud to develop. I think the problem in the Western world is that especially America, is that we crave sweet. And that's created a lot of our kind of problems, especially with insulin and blood sugar dysregulation, is is that we're always craving sweets because we fed our sweet taste buds since we were really young. And in a lot of cases, we haven't worked on our bitter. But if you've got small children and you want them to eat greens... So my daughter loves sprouts. I grow them in the jar. She just sits at the table and eats like alfalfa sprouts. And they're kind of sweet. So that's the thing about sprouting is that initial sprout and that growth, it bursts out a bunch of, a bunch of simple sugars. And those simple sugars are what taste good. And so, you know, children, I think children, if you start feeding them sprouts and if you start, you you know, growing sprouts with your child, showing them how easy it is, letting them sprout, letting them, you know, take care of their seeds and water them every day. And all of a sudden these, this food just starts appearing. It's pretty exciting. And so I think sprouting is actually kind of a fun thing to do with your children. Pretty much almost any seed, bean, grain, legume can be sprouted. Uh, things like alfalfa, broccoli, kale, clover, um, these are really tiny, tiny seeds. And we grow those, I grow those mainly just in a jar. Uh, you can sometimes do them on the microgreen kits, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but those do best in a jar. Um, and then the sunflower seeds and like peas and beans and all those things, uh, they're all going to start in a jar, but the bigger seeds, some of them have to be planted in soil. And so we're going to talk about that as well. But those, um, those like alfalfa, pea sprouts, and sunflower seed sprouts, they make the hardiest and more substantial greens for like salads and sandwiches and stuff. You can also do wheat or wheat berries. You've probably heard of wheat grass. Uh, you can do that. You grow grass for juicing. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. You can also do oats, um, like whole oats, uh, beans of any kind, corn, and lentils are super nutritious. When we talked about, when I mentioned folate, folate is uh, vitamin B9, and it's an essential nutrient that we need for the formation of our nervous system when we're in conception. And so women need to be getting adequate amounts of folate, especially if they plan on conceiving a child. 
we found in the past that we knew that folic acid or folate was a problem and that women that didn't get enough of this, they were having babies with like spina bifida, even cleft palate, and some of these neural tube defects they're called. And so they started supplementing foods with folic acid, putting it into grains um, because they were stripping like the wheat of the hole and the husk and just um, enriching. And then what they had to do is they realized, well, you take all that juicy stuff off the outside because you want this white looking noodle. Uh, if you don't put that has all the nutrients in it. So that hole and all that had the nutrients in it, they stripped that off. Well, now this food basically has no nutrients. So they had to start adding back in the nutrients after they made it, which is why it's called enriched. So enriched grains basically are processed grains that stripped all the nutrients out to make it look like a white bread or a white noodle, even a white rice. And then they add back in uh, synthetic nutrients like B vitamins, a folic acid, into it. So it's enriched, which I find really interesting. So if you're eating a whole grain, you're going to be getting more of that where they're not going to maybe need to be enriching it with synthetic vitamins. Anyways, back to folate. So folate is the natural form found in foods. It's really high in a lot of different foods. So if you eat a wide range of a diet, you're going to be getting folate. Folic acid is the synthetic form. So if you take a supplement and it says on it, folic acid, that's a synthetic form of folate. Our body utilizes folate better than it does folic acid, but folate is absorbed better than folic acid. Now, especially with genetic medicine, nutrigenomics, epigenetics, these are all big words you may or may not have ever heard of, but we know that some people do not metabolize folate or even folic acid, which can actually be more toxic, they don't have the right um, amount of enzyme activity. And there's different levels of this. So if you have the more severe form, taking a bunch of folic acid is actually somewhat poisonous to you. And so we encourage people, because a large percent of the population has some of these genetic defects in, each, in different variants, we recommend that people get their folate as much as they can from foods. Now, a lentil is, you wouldn't think of a lentil, but lentils are super high in folate. And when you sprout a lentil, it's going to make it 10 to 20% more bioavailable to your body. So you're actually probably going to absorb more of that lentil if you sprout it, even overnight. If you cook the lentil the next day, if you sprout it overnight, a lentil has about 360 micrograms of folate, which is about 90% of your daily value. That's just one cup of lentils. So you figure, you know, if you're eating a lentil soup or, you know, if you're in a culture where you eat a ton of lentils and you're going to, if you sprout it before, you're going to have a whole lot of bioavailable folate. And so um, that's just one example of nutrition related to uh, sprouting and how that helps you. The other thing is, is that it makes it easier to digest. It decreases gas and again, makes the protein more bioavailable. It can be done all year round as long as you have some warmth and light. Um, light is probably the most important part as, as well as keeping it in a warm place. So on the website, like I said, I have the sprouting chart and that's going to give you all the, the time required for soaking, um, draining, and then how long it's going to take you to actually get a sprout on these things. So you want to go to the website and get that. Okay, so let's talk about our equipment. It's pretty simple. 
I don't know what's simpler. So for me, I kind of like just doing it the do-it-yourself way. And Ryan and I are a bit cheap. So we it's like if you have to buy a kit, you know, it's maybe 50 bucks or something. Whereas we, we have more of the raw materials. And then after we get all that, there's really, there's really no investment after that. So it's up to you. Uh, the one thing that I like about getting a system, which we'll talk about, like a seed sprouter tray or a sprouting kit or even a microgreen sprouting kit, They'll come with the seeds, maybe. They'll come with directions. Some of them have manuals. And if you've never done this before and you feel like what I'm giving you is not enough information, that may be the way for you to go when you start. Because if you screw something up, it you might have a little bit more like, oh, this is the step that I missed or I didn't drain it enough or something like that. So, you know, you can go on the on our website, on our products page, we're going to have all these things. So a seed sprouter tray, um, a sprouter kit, uh, and, and well as a microgreen sprouting kits. So you can look at all those and kind of decide which one is the best. I would say if you were going to do one, probably like alfalfa sprouts, you'd want to do the seed sprouter trays, which are pretty cool. You can stack them and you can grow a ton of them. So this is if you plan on eating like a lot of sprouts at some point, but you can grow multiple levels or just get a small sprouter kit with the jars and um, with the instructions and everything you need for that and try that out. And then what you might find is you just want to invest in the mason jars and um, seeds later, but that sprouter kit will help you kind of understand the process. Uh, how I do it, I call it the stealthy way, uh, and it's, it's just, uh, it's simple. So we use a wide mouth mason jar, 32 ounce mason jar, and as you know, we have mason jars all over this house. That's what we love uh, for canning, etc. Then um, I use cheesecloth, but I mean, having been on Amazon lately looking at stuff, they do have these wire mesh lids that you can buy for the top that I think I'm going to get some because they're pretty cool. The cheesecloth, when you're draining multiple times a day and you've got to pour the seeds out, it starts to get kind of loose and you might have to replace it. So, and also, you know, I just think that may be kind of cool, but you can get those again on our website. I have those there. They're called the mesh wire mesh lids. So you've got cheesecloth or wire mesh lids. If you're using cheesecloth, you need rubber bands to secure that on. And then you'll need some growing trays. Uh, If you're going to do seeds that require soil, which we'll talk about, you need some growing trays and those are on the website as well. And then of course you need seeds and beans and grains. So decide what you want to do out of that chart that'll be on uh, the website that you can get, you can decide what you want to grow. We always recommend a non-GMO seed, an organic if you can, you know, heirloom if you can, but um, really your seed, remember that that seed is your medicine, so choosing healthy seeds is really important. Uh, And then the seeds that we use the most, that I would use the most, is like an alfalfa, clover, Um, I've done broccoli and radish, but watch out because those can be spicy, especially if you're feeding them to children. So sometimes we'll do a mix of alfalfa, broccoli, and and that, so it's not quite so spicy. Um, and then I like to do sunflower seeds and they're a smaller sunflower seed. They're a sprouting sunflower seed. They're in the shell. Again, that's on our website. You'll see the ones I'm talking about, as well as peas, which we have on there too. Those two make the nicest, yummiest, heartiest sprouts that you've probably seen at Whole Foods or PCC or some of these other places in salads and stuff. And those are pretty easy to grow, but those have to be grown in soil. Uh, So look at the chart and kind of figure out. Another good one is mung beans. 
uh, and you can make salads with mung beans and uh, they're highly nutritious as well. And then if you wanted to make like any tortillas or dehydrated breads or crackers, which you can do in your dehydrator, you can do corn, uh, garbanzo beans, lentils, oats, and then soak them overnight and do the soaking thing, drain them for a little while and then blend them into like flowers and you can make crackers and tortillas and all kinds of cool stuff with that. And another one is buckwheat. So if you like buckwheat, again, you're going to have to grow that in a soil. Um, But you can see all those things on the chart. Okay, the next thing you're going to need, if you do do the ones grown in soils, you need some soil. And you need some good, rich starting soil, usually potting soil for vegetables. And you want to make sure that it has adequate like peat or in it so that it has drainage. Um, remember good soil is really important. Don't just go out in your garden or in your backyard and dig a bunch of soil out. Now we have really good soil. Ryan's been tending our soil. He takes care of it. We got lots of fertilizer in it from the chickens, etc. So I use our soil, um, but I also mix it with good, uh, starter potting soil and some, um, peat so that it's got good drainage. So I use a little bit of a mix of both, but your soil is probably the most important next to your seed. And then uh, you might need a drying rack. So if you have a drying rack that's like a dish drying rack, one like that, I have one on the website, but anything where you can put your jars in while they're draining. And then, of course, good water. We have filtered water, um, filtered or spring water, you know, whatever. Don't use distilled water. You know, the water needs to have a little bit of life in it. If you want to do the seed starters, go to the website, check those things out and see what you're more comfortable with. Okay, so let's get started. Super simple. Number one, you're going to take your jars and you're going to take your seeds. So you've decided what seeds you're going to sprout that week. And for each 32-ounce mason jar, you're going to use anywhere from two, I'd say two to three tablespoons of seed. If you have alfalfa and you're just going to grow alfalfa in the jar, it's about probably about two two, three is pushing it, tablespoons, and you will have an entire jar full. Um, One and a half tablespoons is about half a jar. So depending on how much you want to grow, remember you need to kind of keep some air in there too. So maybe two tablespoons of alfalfa uh, will get you a full jar full. Uh, Soaking your sunflower seeds and peas, it doesn't really matter with that because you'll eventually put those in soil. So think about having a nice layer that would go on top of your your mixing tray, but I would say anywhere from two to three, upwards of four tablespoons per 32 ounce jar. Put those in there, rinse them, and rinse them a couple times and drain the water off. And then you're just going to put water back in, fill the jar up, depending on how many seeds you have in there, either halfway or three quarters. Put your cheesecloth or your wire mesh on there, and then you're going to set them. I do it overnight because most of them need to be five to 12 hours. So the best is the average is eight hours and most people sleep all night. So do it before you go to bed and then they're sitting in the dark or put a towel over them because they kind of need a little bit of warmth like that. When you get up in the morning, take all of the, um, don't take the lids off or don't take the cheesecloth off. Just drain the seeds by pouring the water out. Um, Let it drain through and then you're going to pour more water through the lid or through the cheesecloth and you're going to swish that around all the seeds and then you're going to drain that again 
and then you're going to put it at a 45 degree angle sitting in your dish rack. Now you want to make sure when it's sitting at that 45 degree angle, you'll notice in the very beginning when the seeds are little, they obviously want, all want to go to the bottom. Just make sure that the lid is not totally covered up by seeds, otherwise no air can get in. Air needs to be able to get in because that's one of the elements, remember, uh, that's helping these sprouts to grow. Again, so do that with whatever seeds you have, you know, drain them all out, rinse them again, and then drain them again at 45 degrees, put them in your dish rack, and then I cover mine with a towel. So if it's bright in your kitchen or whatever, you know, put a towel over them and let them sit. Depending on the seed, you're going to need to rinse them either two to three times a day. Now we all have lives and jobs and you may not be able to rinse your seeds three times a day, but you could at least rinse them in the morning and at least rinse them at night. And just look at that chart and, you know, kind of see how your life is with rinsing. But you're only going to be rinsing them for, you know, uh, two to three times a day, maybe for three to five days. Some of them, it's just like sunflower seeds, it's 24 hours you're going to do that. And then you're going to be putting them in dirt. So um, look at that chart to know what that is, but you're going to let them drain. And then every day, depending on the chart, you're just going to drain them that same way. You're going to drain them out. You're going to rinse them. You're going to drain them out. You're going to let them sit there. Eventually, you'll start to notice sprouts. Now, let's say you're growing alfalfa. Uh, You're going to want alfalfa to just grow in the jar. And, you know, you're probably going to have a sprout in about three to five days. Now, here's the deal. You're going to Probably about the third day, they've been covered up. You're going to take the towels off of them, especially with alfalfa, pretty much with everything um, that's not in soil, because you want it to start developing chlorophyll. And remember, it's the sun's energy that helps the plant to build chlorophyll. So now you've let that sprout kind of grow in the dark a little bit, and then about day three, Take the cover off and then make sure it's sitting in a nice sunny place and it will start turning green and you'll start getting these green sprouts. Uh, We live in the Pacific Northwest and in the winter there's no sun and my house sort of faces, it doesn't face south. So I don't get great sun in my house so I have to use a grow light. Um, So you can use a grow light 24-7 on these things and they will develop a little bit faster. Nice sunny place, let it sit and then it will grow. And then in about about three to five days after you put it in the sun, even like two sometimes, depending on how warm it is, you're going to have green sprouts ready to grow on your sandwich. So it's pretty exciting. It's so quick. And then you have these things uh, like, wow, sprouts. Um, Okay, so those are for ones that are growing in a jar. Any other sprouts, like I said, that maybe you're just going to soak overnight or you're going to soak a couple days, you're going to get a little sprout on them, then you're going to either cook them or you're going to dehydrate them or you're going to roast them or whatever and make them into crackers or soups or whatever. You can use that uh, chart to kind of help you with that. The next ones are the ones that are in soil. So we, the ones that we mainly put in soil are the sunflower seeds and the peas because they just make the best sprout. And once they've sprouted in the jar, um, peas are going to take a little longer. They take about three to five days. The sunflower seeds usually are only about 24 hours. It's, if it's a little bit cooler, it might be two days, but um, they're going to be a little faster. And then wheat, of course. If you're going to do wheat grass, it's about two to three days for sprouting them, and then you're going to put them in soil. Uh, the soil is also really easy. You have to take your um, your soil trays, and you're going to take your good, nutritious soil. You're going to add about an inch of that into your tray, and then you're going to make a trough around it so that if there's any excess water, it can kind of go out into the trough. 
And then you're going to lay, you're going to take your sprouts and you're going to lay just like a carpet layer on top of that soil. You don't want them to be all laying on top of each other. You want to try to get them uniform so that the sprouts that are coming up, they can now go down into the soil. They'll go down into the soil and then they're going to, you know, the other end will start popping up. So what you do then is you get them all laid out and make sure that that soil is moist before you put them on. So some people water it when they put it on and that's fine. You could spray it too with a spray bottle. But if you get the soil too wet and soggy, that's a great way to harbor mold, especially if you don't have enough heat. Um, Heat is something you got to watch. So if you have a lot of heat, you're going to need more water. Um, If you have a ton of humidity in the air, you're not going to maybe need as much water. So if you're living in an arid um, place like Montana or Colorado, obviously you're going to need more water because you have no humidity in the air. If you live in Florida or Georgia or somewhere, you have a ton of humidity in the air. So you don't need to be like adding as much water. There's a delicate balance between healthy water um, as well as the air circulation, etc. But just make sure your soil isn't soaked and your seeds aren't drenching in water. That's not going to be good. What you do after you have that soil wet and then you put that carpet of seeds down is what I do is just take cardboard or like wet paper, newspaper, and put it on top of the seeds. And then like I had a tray, you'll see on the website, the guide, I had a tray of peas and I have a tray of sunflowers. And I just put the cardboard down and then I stacked them on top of each other. You can also put a plastic lid on them to kind of keep that paper wet. Um, And then I just stack them and I that keeps them dark. So now they're in the dark. This time of year, it's not warm enough for me to leave them out in the greenhouse all the time at night. So I bring them in and I just stack them and I actually put them on my dryer, on top of my dryer, because it's kind of warm there. If the dryer starts going, it's warmer. And then I have a heating pad, which you can see on the website as well, but it's a, it's a heating pad you plug in and it doesn't get super hot. It's just a seeding. It helps to keep uh, heat in, in there to help with the seeds. So I do that and then just let those sit. Don't water them for a couple days because that moisture's in there. Just peek in there and you'll see, oh my gosh, all of a sudden these, these sprouts are starting to come up. And what you'll notice is even with a tray on top of them, the ones on the bottom, they start lifting up the tray on top. It's really cool. These sprouts are strong. So once you start to see that, it's about two to three days, start to see those things lifting up like that. Go ahead and unstack them take the cardboard off and now I put them in a nice sunny place. We have a greenhouse. So if it's nice out, like today it's sunny, I could put them in there as long as it doesn't get too hot and they get a lot of sunlight. At night, what I do is I just put a little grow light on them and I keep them growing like that so that they're going to mature a whole lot faster. Be careful not to get them too hot. So like our greenhouse, it could be 60 outside but it could be 90 in our greenhouse and that is a great way to fry your sprouts so like the microgreen packs if you buy those and you keep that pad moist with the seeds on it so the pad is like a medium instead of soil you get the pad I have screwed those up so many times because I didn't water them properly and then I put them in the greenhouse and it was like 100 degrees in the greenhouse and it just basically burned them like I went in there it looked like someone took a blowtorch to my sprouts So that's what you want to, yeah, you want to be careful with heat. So as long as they get good sunlight and adequate warmth, but don't burn them, uh, that's important. So then just take them off and 
they're probably going to need three to five days, depending on how fast and how much light you're giving them, to get all that good chlorophyll and grow. And most of them will grow five to seven inches, and you'll get this beautiful sprout. If you're doing wheatgrass, wheatgrass is kind of the same thing, but you're going to grow a big grass. Um, And when you're done with both of those, you harvest them by just cutting at the base of either the grass or of the sprouts. And you can rinse like the sunflower seeds off the top of the sprouts, and then you just put them on salads. I mean, just eat them right fresh like that. They're so good. If you do do wheatgrass, and we're not really going to get into wheatgrass here because that's kind of a whole other topic, but if you do decide to do wheatgrass, you probably need to juice it. Uh, you're not, I don't like to eat wheatgrass. I don't know. I, even at Hippocrates, people were not eating wheatgrass. They were drinking the juice. So you can buy a special juicer. It's a hand juicer and you just put the grass in and it just juices the grass. And you can drink little shots of wheatgrass, which is so power packed of nutrients. It's insane. Um, and I think I have a link. Yeah, I put a link on for the wheatgrass juicer if that interests you. So I know this sounds like a lot, but seriously, it is the easiest thing you will ever do to grow healthy greens in your kitchen. Uh, you can do this anywhere. You don't need a big greenhouse. You 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 don't even need light. Um, you just need a grow light. Uh, you need maybe a heating pad. But, you know, you can grow these in the Arctic Circle if you have the right equipment. Uh, so it's just, it's super cool and super easy. So the last part. Okay, so there are a few things that could go wrong. And it's important to know these because you don't want to be eating bad sprouts and it's a waste of your time and your money if you're not doing things right and you just keep killing everything. So we've talked about a few of them, but um, one, so good seeds make a healthy sprout. So again, make sure you get good seeds. When you are putting the seeds in the jars and stuff, if you see seeds like the bigger seeds and they're cracked and maybe the shell's broken open or when you put them in the water and you soak them, they, they, the ones that come to the top, maybe skim those off because um, they're kind of defective and they're not going to grow a sprout anyways. And it's good to kind of get all the bad seeds out if you can. Um, again, we talked about soil and you don't want to overwater it because if it's overwatered, a really wet soil equals a moldy seed, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. You may not have that problem in Colorado, but here with a bit of humidity or Florida, a bit of humidity, um, maybe not enough sun and maybe not enough warmth like we have in Washington. If you don't have that good mix, you're going to get a moldy seed. You get mold, you need to throw it all out. Like, don't even consider eating it because you don't want to be eating that. Heat and light, like we talked about. You can look at all that stuff on the website. Here's the thing. If they stink at any stage, get rid of them. The thing I like about sprouting is sometimes, you know, you have things in your cupboard you're never going to cook lentils you bought because you made lentil soup one time and you never cooked them. Uh, maybe you've got some beans that you never cooked. Uh, maybe you've got oats that are sitting in there and you're like, oh, maybe I should soak these and I could make some crackers or something out of them. Well, that's really cool. But when you soak them and they start stinking, it means they're bad. And that's the problem with dried goods sometimes is we don't notice how bad they are until you do soak them and then they start stinking. So it's kind of a good way to know if you if you sprout them first before you even cook them. You might know whether or not they're bad. But I did some lentils and they were fine for a couple days and then I literally walked into the house and there was a smell like fish. 
like uh, somebody laid a fish in my front room. And now Ryan's in the fishing industry, so you never know. But I came in the kitchen, it was just so strong. And it was just this little jar of lentils, and they were obviously bad. So use your nose, because your nose is is really, uh, (laughs) is your best barometer. Even if they smell a little weird, just get rid of them and don't eat them. And then make sure to refrigerate your sprouts when you harvest them. Don't put them in a totally airtight container. You'll notice at the store, sometimes they put them in the cartons, like the strawberry carton or something. There's air that can go in the bottom. You want them to have a little bit of air. So if you put them in a bag, you know, keep a, se- a section of it open a little bit, poke holes in it, um, maybe reuse like your strawberry containers, blueberry containers, those, and you can put your sprouts in there. to, And they'll last about a week in the fridge. There's tons of recipes online for all these things I'm talking about for, you know, sprouting, for sprouting salads, for sprouting breads. And probably we will be doing some of those for sure this this summer as we experiment. Uh, We don't like to put recipes on that we have not actually made ourselves because, you know, then we don't know if it's you're going to like it or if the ingredients are right. We do have this week, we've added five new recipes to the website. So make sure you go check that out, huntharvesthealth.com slash recipes. And there's smoothies on there. There's pancakes on there. There's some elk and nettle uh, meat meatloaf muffins. And there's a lot of wild food recipes. Uh, and so in the healing food section, there's also wild foods right now, like dandelion and nettle, things that you can harvest out of your yard that don't last all year round, but can be really good additions and nutritious additions to food. So go check those out. That's pretty much it with sprouting. I hope that you enjoyed this. It wasn't too long, too monotonous, but you can get the you can get the sprouting chart on our website again, huntharvesthealth.com slash healing foods slash sprouts. And, you know, tag your pictures, Hunt and Harvest Health on Instagram, Facebook. Let us see if you've tried it. And if you want to support our Hunt and Harvest Health podcast, again, you know, please buy some of the things we recommended through our website. And we'll be back with some great podcasts next week. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.